Well, isn't it, isn't the dof, the dauphin isn't that the, isn't that the, the, always before the tour? And the tour starts in July. That's what you, you've, July, na- July you've named one race. That's Stu, Stu will now give us a beautiful review of the Dauphiné and what took place <laughs> and all the shenanigans and all who was in the who was in the yellow jersey and all. But actually, just do it stage. Just do it stage by stage, Stu. Just just break it down for. I can't do that. Can I? I mean, I did read about Leah Goldstein this week. She's doing that crazy race across America. Oh, I haven't read that article yet. Yeah, it's called the Ram or the R A A M. Well, we haven't we, we haven't touched on endurance cycling. No, well, that, well, that's go, yeah, going to the world of sort of semi-professional or very very good amateur racing, isn't it? Because really? after the tour so. comes the transcontinental, yeah. which is anyway, very. Interesting, I got very into that last year. But this is the thing, isn't it? It's sort of this weird period because last, obviously last time we spoke, we talked about the Giro and did the, did the sort of review of that, and then. Everything just feels like it's getting ready for the Tour de France, really. So we've had the Dauphiné, we've had the Tour de Suisse going on at the moment, and it just feels like a, I don't know, as if everyone's in training mode, waiting for the Tour. Well, well, they are a lot of them, but then a lot of them, a lot of them have to go and do these smaller races because they're not going to get on the Tour teams. I don't know. It goes back to I've said this before. There, there is too, there's way too much cycling as a, as a, as a, because you can't quite get to grips with it. So therefore, the top tier of cycling, this top category races that are happening, that even if you're interested in cycling a little bit, you have no idea of in terms of their category. It's not like a Premier League where you understand what the Premier League teams are and then the, the secondary level teams and all that kind of stuff. It's You don't understand the calendar throughout the year. You don't quite understand. It's very hard for, for people to get their head around it. I think it is. And we should say, shouldn't we, that we are you are listening to uh, For the Love of Pog, a podcast mainly about cycling. And I was going to say we are watching the last 10 kilometres of stage four of the Tour de Suisse. But I don't think we are, are we? We are talking about that interim period. I just don't, you're going to say you don't like the Tour de Suisse, aren't you? No, I've got it on. I was going to say. Oh, you've got it on. One of us is going to be watching the last 10 kilometres of the Tour de Suisse. Roman Bardet has just made an attack. Ah, well, don't don't get your hopes up. I went... <laughs> <I'd say. laughs> Actually, I think I, I'm going to rename him. It is Roman, don't get your hopes up, Bardet. That is it, isn't it? I mean, come on. He's almost as irritating as Mikel Lander. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's quite old now. <laughs> I won't spoil it for you. you can, actually, you can give us a little commentary there as he does as he does very Roman Bardet things. Well, actually, he's trying. To, he, he's not actually. He's trying to catch up with uh, Felix. Somebody I don't even know who that is. Who's leading? Who's gone on a bit of a break from twenty k? And Bardet has gone from the second group with eight k. Um, I see. And I, I should and, have actually and, said. Oh, go on. No, go on. I was gonna say, no, I was going to say. Obviously, no. we, I didn't do any introductions this time. I am here. Lawrence, who was just talking, is here. Hey. I think, actually, can I go? I'll never get a cheer. So I'm here. Hey. Loz is here. Hey. <laughs> Stu is here. Hey. But Andy, Andy, poor old uh, Andy is once again uh, not here. Where are you, Andy? <laughs> He, uh, he appeared for the first episode and we've never seen him since. Do you think he's too he's... scared to come on and talk to us now? I hope he's getting on well with his maths homework. <laughs> but what's he retraining for if he's doing maths homework? I don't know. You probably should explain what that means. I'm not. I'm going to leave it hanging. He's just doing his... <laughs> 
He's doing his maths homework. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so obviously the Tour de Suisse is on and we had uh, the Dauphin, the Dauphiné uh, last week um, or the Dauphin was, as we like to call it. And I want to start off with a non-cycling bit, a non-cycling talk, actually, because I, I had some at the weekend, right? Genuinely, Dauphin was potatoes. <laughs> so I'm going to put myself out there and say the Dauphin was is the best form of potato. Stu, I know you're going to have views on this. Strong ones, I hope. Wow. Strong and long ones. Strong, strong takes. What's your hot take on Dauphin? I mean, <laughs> nice. That's a big statement. It's a bit like you wash your favourite cheese, isn't it? You know, <laughs> as much as I love cheese, I always go for a good cheddar because I think it's so versatile. Now, you're telling me you'd go for a, a Dauphinoir every day of, if you had to have one potato. The thing, okay, the thing is, the thing is, I hadn't had it for such no, no, the thing is, I hadn't had it for so long, right? And I thought, oh, my God, these taste absolutely amazing. That was all. And I thought, why well, don't I have these more often? They just don't seem on the menu but, as but, very much. But, but I yeah. absolutely loved it. But sliced potatoes, cream, cheese. That's it, isn't it? Well, yeah. some people don't put cheese on them. If you want to go, if you want to go, if you want to go really sort of just with cream, garlic, of course, and plenty of salt and pepper. Baked. Baked. And really, you want to get the potatoes. You want to use a, a, a really good knife or a mandolin to get them nice and thin. Nice. They were extremely thin. I was going to say, how, how thin? How thin do they have to go? Crisp level thin, or? Well, these were. I'm going to say. I'm going to say three or four mil on the on the on the strips. I'd say it was pretty thin. It was good. Maybe yeah, yeah not, three not, or four not mil. Crisp, not crisp level. Not crisp, but nice, nice yeah. and really nice and thin, and they're just really delicious. But if you're not well, come back to me. What is better than that? We're talking roast. Baked, mashed, chipped, chipped. <laughs> Come on, wedges. I mean, there's all sorts there, isn't it, really. It or just a, what you feel just, like. You know what I mean? Just a boiled, a, a boiled new, a boiled, boiled new. new, a Jersey new, a, a Jersey, Jersey new. Oh. Naughty potatoes, as our mum oh, used to yeah. like. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you can't beat a chip, can you? I thought this would cause controversy, but obviously it hasn't. I think. Uh, well, I think the, the 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 answer is all potato good. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose a different question then is there a wrong is there a wrong version of potato? Mm. Mm. I, I'm not a fan of the baked potato. I've gone off baked potatoes. They're my what? least favourite. And what yep. uh, what don't you like about the baked potato? I, I, it's just disappointing when you get home and there's baked potatoes and often it's a bit like. Ugh. It's a bit of a hold on, hold on. just Robert, a personal you, thing. Hold on. When you get home and baked potatoes <laughs> is being offered, what, what, what's this? <laughs> Sometimes that happens. <laughs> that does happen. Depends what the filling is, isn't it, really? The baked potato is very versatile for a good selection of fillings. You know, anything with classic butter and cheese, beans and cheese, tuna mayo, tuna sweet corn. I actually prefer mine. Non-filled, right? I think the thing to a baked potato is you cook it in the microwave, right, and then you blast it in the oven. So it has to be really crispy on the outside. Yeah, and that's then you could just have butter in, and I you think don't that's need any other filling. That's the crisp it. of the skin is the important. Yeah, thing. you've got to have them as crisp as possible. I think that's the only way with a baked mm. potato. Should we move on from potato chat? Can I just add one more thing about this because it's quite interesting? Guess what my daughter has for breakfast every day. Uh, hold on, let me uh, potatoes. Dauphin while potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That, you, that she insists you make <laughs> from scratch every single morning. She has a jockey potato with cheese and beans. 
Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. That's that's a pretty nutritious breakfast. A good start to the day, isn't it? That. Yeah. That's good. You've got away, your protein, but... your fats, your carbs, a bit of fiber in there. I think that's uh, that's good. There we go. How long should we be doing that? Quite a while. Where are we with the stage then? How five uh, days uh, ago? Roman Bardet been brought back yet? No, he has. What does he have? Twenty seconds. Um, on a small group that includes Remco and a few others, uh, and Felix Gal is still a minute and twelve ahead of Bardet with five k to go. Anyway, just to go back to the Dauphiné. Um, Vin, Vin, uh, what are we going to call him? Vinegard, Vinery, Vinegar Vineyard. What are we going to Vin, Vin, call Vinegar him? Vineyard's good. Vinegar Vineyard. He looked pretty impressive, didn't he? I mean, it's it's going to be a yeah, very interesting tour, I think. Tour de France between uh, Vinegar Vineyard and Pog. Uh, he did look in really, really good form. Yeah, I'm not sure how strong the field was, but he did seem to just destroy them completely. Did we actually uh, watch any of the Dauphiné? I didn't really take notice of that that race at all. I dipped into it, caught the end of things. Where I did see him though was uh, I. You two haven't watched this yet, have you? But have you not watched the Netflix Tour de France? I've watched no. the first two. Have you, have you watched it, Lawrence? I've I've binged it. Yeah, I've just finished it. I don't know. I'm uncertain about it. I feel that I feel like I mean there, there are some good. Good shots, but you get good shots anywhere from the Tour de France. There's some, there's some good shots, especially I've watched the cobbled stage, you know, where they've clearly got a camera on one of the bikes and you can really sort of get a feel for the intensity of the race and the brutality of that sort of like, you know, that, that sort of surface and what's going on. Um, but they're only so far focusing on a couple of teams. So you're not getting a complete holistic point of view. They're focusing on two teams. And that to me just seems a bit of a, Clearly, obviously, for contract reasons, whatever, they didn't get everyone involved in it. And it's a big, I don't know, it's a big hole because how can you talk about the whole tour when you're only really sort of focusing on two teams? And not and, talk yeah. about Pog because he's not yeah. in it at all. Yeah, exactly, he's not in it. And yeah. He's obviously not signed up. And as you say, contract-wise, he wasn't signed up to it. So you only get him in little snippets in the post-race stuff and captured a little bit on camera. But he isn't being followed or interviewed post-race or anything like that. So you, you're only getting this kind of... They've had to work out what narrative to tell based on the ones that they're following, which... Yeah. And it's very French-focused. Yeah. So for me, I think it would be better positioned. It's a bit like, you know, you've seen the Netflix series of football, Man City or Spurs or or Sunderland. You know, it's, it's them in their league doing whatever they can. And they should have done that. They should have focused on one of the teams, whether it was Jumbo Vista or whatever, and gone, right, it's all about them and it's in the Tour de France. But they've tried to sort of pitch it as being all about the Tour de France, but they've not actually covered so many angles off on it, I don't think. They haven't covered so many angles. But, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'm quite surprised because everyone kept raving on about saying, and I've not watched the F1 series, and everyone was, everyone was saying, oh, this could do for cycling terms of get reinvigorating people around F1, uh, for cycling as it did for F1. But I, th- I would have thought surely the whole point is to, you know, America, Netflix being such a big market, that the whole premise of it would have been to kind of almost, like, like um, 
uh, Ted Lasso in a way has done for British football in America because of because it's just it's for American audience. But yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic and huge. So to do this to, for Netflix, but then it's interestingly it's mostly in French. It's it's a French production company, and so it for me it's like but it just doesn't really work selling it to the world as much. And I know, you know you can argue that's really not a very good view to say well it's right that it should be in French and follow you know quite a few French teams. And there is a bit of balance with lots of different people, but I think that missed something by making it feel um, a bit broader than being too folk, too nasal gazy on being a French a French based thing. Um, and then, like I say, not following enough teams. Um, and re- I don't know, it just it it lacks something. I think you're right. It definitely captures racing, and it captures how hard the Tour de France is. You know, all the footage and that captures it. But then there's some very stage managed things that you think that didn't really happen in that way. But yet you've created a narrative out of it to, to have the drama. Okay, that's TV. But if you've already watched that last year's Tour de France, you're kind of watching it closely and kind of going, mm, I don't remember it actually happening like that. So, is it told? Is, how is it? How is the story told? Is it told through? Is it a narrator or is it, is it just told through the eyes of the teams? Who tells the story? Mix. So you've got talking heads, you've got, you've got some riders, you've got talking heads who tend to be sort of commentators. So you've got Ola Shenoui and you've got David Miller in it and you've got this guy from France who you've never even heard of. But in He's a way, maybe that... France, he? huh? The guy from France is good. He brings a bit of life to it, I think. He's, you know, yeah, he, I suppose he does. But as a face of the tour... Who is he? Uh, who, hell, <laughs> who is he? You know, yeah. He's a former rider that didn't do very much, apparently. But... Um, I think that's the thing it lacks. It lacks He's something. He's a former to, rider uh, that never rode the tour, I don't think. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Your point is about following a team. So there's, there's obviously the movie, there's a, the movie star two series. And the, then there's also one following um, uh, Quickstep, the Wolfpack one, which it does what you're saying, like you're know, following a team within what they're doing and then at these races. And I think a mate was saying, I haven't seen it yet, but he said the Quickstep one's pretty good. I mean, there's so much content, so much content you can get from the Tour de France. They could, they could literally make, you know, probably 20, 30, 40 different Netflix series, I think, on the angles of it, the history of it, the set of it, the company that owns it, you know, all the sort of like going into it, you know, the production value, the helicopters, the, the, the crews, the world's media sort of like falling upon it for those, those few weeks. But yeah, this one seems a bit bitty, but they're trying to sort of say it's covering it all. That's how it's pitched to me, and it's definitely not. What do you think about those sort of behind the scenes stuff, though? I with sport, I'm not sure. I mean, I've never watched. I haven't watched any of the the other ones you've talked about. There, sort of behind the scenes, sort of expose. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I really want to see the the sort of how it all happened because you. I mean, what you're saying there, Loz, about you, you, you watch it how you watch it, and you absorb it, and you think, well, did it really happen that way? It's changing the view of how it happened. Did I? Does it mean I enjoy how it, enjoy it less now because I see it for what it really was, or it, I don't know? But I'm less. It's like it's like post-match interviews with footballers. I I don't really care. I don't really. Care. I almost don't want to hear them because I want to. I want to. I've got my memory of what took place on the pitch, and that's how I absorbed it. I don't really care mm. what they think because it might ruin it. it might, I think their it, view it does, might be a view I don't want to hear. It does give you some insights, but it gives you some very strange insights. The the stuff when they're on the tour, on the on the buses and they're before the race, telling <laughs> saying what they're going to do, and and it's so lacking in. I know you thought about this, Stu, but lacking in passion. 
Like you see, you see a football manager in a, in a football team before a game, and it's like, you know, yeah, fucking smash them. You know, it's kind of like that level. Yeah. I, Whereas I this is like. Uh, your leader today is is uh, this guy, and it's like, yep, yeah, he's in the bus. We all know who he is, and we're all out for him today. And uh, yeah, you guys just have to follow him and support him. And you're like, is that it? Is yeah, is that because he's on camera though? I don't. So know. he's not going to reveal. He's not going to reveal know. everything, is he? That's the that's well, the point. This, yeah, but this, this is where, this yeah, but this is, is post this, because yeah. in the okay, going back to the football, Man City, you did have pictures of of Pat. With videos, with you know all the all the boards going. This is what we're gonna do. You got to do this. You do that, and really sort of like being passionate speeches, but also really getting quite tactical about it as well. It's like, and that was really really interesting. To your point about footballers after the after the who cares? Yeah, but this is really interesting. So on the bus, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna discover something new about professional cycling here because they're gonna talk through about the, the tactics what the plan of attack is, what to do if this happens or if this happens, or if this team makes a move, what do we do? None of it. It was really, really flat and boring. And as, and as the law said, there was no passion. It was like, okay, you go first and then we'll go second. And make sure he's- there, was, there was only, there was, there was, there was two bits, right? There was two bits. There's, there's, there was one bit um, where you had that, exactly how you described it. And then in the race, it was the one where um, they totally went out to attack Pog. And they absolutely nailed him. And you watched it thinking, well, they didn't they didn't explain that on the bus. You didn't see them explaining how they were going to do that attack and kind of keep going two up on him and absolutely grind him into the ground. And then when you watch it, it's like, that was amazing that they've, they've done it. They've nailed him. But you didn't get any of that on the bus beforehand. Not a single bit. But it's that it because bizarre. that's what so you kind of like is, then qu- in a sense, you're getting an insight into how different this sport is compared to other sports. In the, you know, it's. It, I think they just don't. I just think they didn't reveal maybe it on it camera. Could that, I, I but it could be that it thing. isn't because it, it plays out for such a long period. You don't want to raise sort of energy levels at that point because you know you're going to have to do it in the car when when it's going to happen, rather than all that passion coming out in the team meeting beforehand. Because the attack that needs to come could be six hours later. Do you know what I mean? So it's a slightly Possibly. different, a slightly Possibly. different view of a, a different, you know, a diff, an insight into a different sort of sport, really. That it, the histrionics probably aren't quite the same. I mean, you, way. yeah, but then you you got a bit of passion from actually there was one bit for FDJ uh, with Mark Mario and they Godu had uh, not performed well in one of the stages and, and he went it, it wasn't on the bus but it was in it was obviously at the morning briefing and he really went for it and said we have got to support this guy. You know, we're all out today to support him, blah, 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 blah. And he was actually getting, but Mark Maddio is quite, quite passionate anyway. And at least from that, you got a sense that he'd rallied to the team. And then they went on to like do really well in the next three stages and he got close to being third on the podium. So but that was that was one one example where he sort of, sort of showed that they'd really tried to up their game and it had worked. But you didn't really see it much anywhere else. A lot of swearing in the team cars following the, yeah, I lots of swearing, that. lots of passion. The cars when people were falling off or wasn't going well for them, but it was like, well, that's that's great. I don't no really tactics. Lots, that. lots of come on, you I got this. See, I want to see the tactics. I want to see who's worked out, worked out what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, why they're going to do it. Working out all the stages so you avoid crashes, you avoid coming off, all that sort of stuff. You didn't get any of that because I often wonder that. How do they know? Look, they they absolutely, absolutely do do that. Yeah. 
And a lot of the time you see that on some other things where sometimes the riders don't really know what that stage is covering until quite late, but they will go through it and they'll use streak views and all that kind of stuff to really look at and, and to present the information. But it was just surprising. They may have recorded that and just chose not to use it for whatever reason. Or maybe there was some deal within each of the teams that there was only so much they were going to going to reveal. Because maybe, like I say, Matt, it's a very, that's maybe too much of a revealing thing in, in the sport. Of how's, the, how's the stage going? Yeah. Stage is complete. Uh, Felix Gal did manage to go from 20k out and hold on uh, to win the stage. You'll be interested to know that Roman Bardet made two stinging attacks uh, only to be brought back both times and actually end up seventh. And he made, he made a brilliant attack. He made, he made almost 100 metres and was like, right, you're going to go away now. And they all caught him up twice and then caught him with about 200 metres. Roman Bardet being very much uh, Roman Remco, Bardet. There you go. Yeah, Remco actually finished second on the stage. So does that put Remco back into yellow? So I think you're... I think, I know, I'm just waiting for the classification. I'm not sure. Um, I think you're right. He's playing within himself uh, and he'll clinch it on the time trial. Yep. Now, you mentioned Pog a minute ago, and obviously the, we, we call this podcast For the Love of Pog. Uh, I mean, on Blimey, For the Love of Pog, where is he? He's uh, he's only going to be racing two days. <laughs> I mean, he crashed, obviously, in Liège, Baston Liège, broke his wrist, had to have an operation, and uh, he's only going to race in the Tour, no, the Slovenian National Championships, isn't he, and the time trial, and then it's straight into the Tour. So two days racing between Liège and the Tour de France. What do we think about that? That's going to be quite tough, isn't it? What did he, what did he do pre-last year? Did he, did he, I've got a feeling he raced quite a lot last year. Or did he go quite well? No, he did Tour of Slovenia, didn't he? So and Last year, and he's not doing that this year. Tour of Slovenia is taking place this I don't know. week, isn't it? So it's, yes, now it's on it's the now. same time, isn't it's it? Now. I mean, I think yeah. he would have done that, but obviously he's just thinking, well, I'll do the training camps. Um I don't know. I think you're right. I mean, well, my view is I think he'll be in great shape. I think he's he was obviously looking great in this early in the season, um, winning lots of races. Was a shame, obviously. You know, was looking great for Liège. It's a shame we didn't have the head to head with Remco. Um, and he's going to do a lot of training and be and be ready to. I to hit it hard, need to I worry think, about him against Vinegar Vineyard. I. Yeah, I think he's got. Has he got a slightly better team team around him this year? I'm not, you know, I think it's going to be good. I think last year, having watched the um, Netflix series, obviously that's a, that's showing last year's tour. And you do realise how he was, he actually was a, he was a bit cavalier. There was the one, there was the one stage where they were ganged up on him and he lost time. And then he still was trying to claw it back and did quite well and won, won a stage. And But he was possibly a bit cavalier leading up to that and a bit overconfident. Now obviously Pog um, fell off his bike in Liège and we haven't seen him since so I understand Lawrence you may have uh, you may have fallen off your bike do Ugh. tell yeah I, I don't fall off that often I've, I've had some some good ones but generally I pride myself on not falling off and uh, I was just on the way to work cycling along the strand and became incapable of, of bunny hopping up a two inch curb because <laughs> I've got I used to ride a drop handlebar bike to work and I much prefer riding on the hoods 
and I find that's the most comfortable and most balanced thing. I've now got a single speed city bike with cow horn bars and they're very nice, but then the brakes are tucked in quite tight. And so the change of position from you know, little single speed kind of tucked in brakes to going onto the cow horns is a little bit, a bit of a movement. And I just sort of forgot and sort of went to grab the brakes as well as lift up the front wheel and just fucked it up. How did you go down? How did In you front go of down? lots of people. I went down oh, gracefully, of course, and then sort of looked around in a kind of, as you do, kind of, what, 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 happened? what happened there? Check. Oh, check the wheel. Oh, there was, oh, look at that pothole over there. Oh, yes, obviously. <laughs> obviously. So, looking around. Someone else's fault, surely. Did anyone actually see me? No, they didn't. Lock the bike up. Go into the Do you fall enough of your bike lately? Does it? Recently? Ever? Uh, no, the last fall I had would have been a year ago. It was, it was, you know, it was probably early, early spring or late winter. And I just got on the bike outside the house, just went back wheel black ice and went straight down on the, on my hip. Quite painful. Flat. Yeah. Didn't see it. Yeah. That's the last time I've been up. Yeah. Which is, you know, wasn't really, but that wasn't my fault. And no one was around to see me. And I didn't, check, I didn't check the back wheel. I just went, ow, that hurt. The thing is, when it happens, it is quite shocking because it doesn't happen very often, does it? It's actually quite hard to fall off your bike. I mean, on black ice, that you can't do anything about that. But it is it is really quite hard. It's like stalling a car, isn't it? It's hard to do. So when you fall off, you think, oh, that feels really odd because it just doesn't happen. Think of the thousands of kilometres you've ever ridden and how many times you've properly fallen off. It's just not that many. It just It's a rare thing. And and the speed you do it generally is quite slow and a little bit innocuous. I have no idea how like, that's the bit of cycling that I find unbelievable is is how they can be in these races going at sixty kilometer plus, come off and get back on the bike and carry on. It's just it's utterly beyond me. And that was one actually. The, there was a really good bit of a story in the the Netflix series which followed. Um, Oh, his name's completely forgotten me. Uh, he had the awful crash when Groiner, Groiner oh, Jacobson. Jacobson slammed into him. Jacobson, thank you. Yeah. And he's on it a lot. And obviously he won, a, he won a stage and the comeback and then he missed out on winning on the Champs-Élysées. But his story and kind of then you see that crash and it, that, I mean, it is phenomenal that he is still able to sprint and compete and have the nerve to be able to do it. Just, yeah. Yeah. I thought that too, Loz. I thought, wow. Because he had lost how many teeth? Was it 12 Ten, teeth? Ten teeth. He's got a hole between his in his upper mouth through to his nose when he when it has also been reconstructed and stuff. He was in a, was he in a coma was in for three yeah. or four days. Yeah, yeah I, I thought that. How could you get back on your bike and sprint like that when you know that's happened? And I'm, I'll pay for I think it's, uh, I agree with you. I think it's totally extraordinary. Um, because you're not just obviously going along very fast with lots of other people. You are head down as going as fast as you can you put you put all that trust in your fellow cyclists that everything's going to be okay that you won't deliberately take someone out and you're right you know you getting back on your bike to even just ride it let alone compete and then try and win there's all those layers that you have to go through and when he had that terrible crash i think there was a a fear what would a fear that people thought he may never just may never ride again it's so bad oh, and as you say you've got to get back in the peloton he probably yeah, went get back that in the peloton. Himself. 
and race and race again and try to win again. I mean, it is absolutely extraordinary doing this at 60, 70 kilometers an hour next to un, you know, another bit of metal and obviously tarmac and all that. I, I, I find it, yeah, I find it absolutely incredible that they can do that. Yeah, I had a colleague who uh, was cycling and he used to commute on his bike and he, you know, someone opened the car door and he went, you know, straight over, broke his collarbone. And that was enough. He, he didn't get back on his bike again. I mean, he, hopefully, this was years ago, but whilst he was working with me, he never cycled into Reluctant to use the H word here because I don't really want to use this podcast to talk about helmets. But they are designed for that, for that innocuous 15, up to 15 mile an hour crash on your own that you do yourself. It's the innocuous fall rather than crashing at 30, 30, 40 miles an hour or somebody else causing the crash. They're designed really for those impacts where you accidentally fall off your bike and it's your it's your own fault. That's what designed for. Well, yeah, I mean, I could have hit that curb. I could have landed badly and I could have hit my head. I could, I could have hit a pole on the side and, you know, that could be it. Whether whether we, you know, whether this, obviously the statistics and stuff around helmets are, are very clear, but it's, it's the choice you make. And I think, you know, I would always choose to wear one simply because of that. Because it could just be something that's out You're of your You're going to have control. to qualify that now. Statistics are very clear. No, no. You said you've always argued that statistics say that it's even split in terms of helmet accidents and non-wear, non-helmet. No, no, I don't say that. The, the 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 claims that people make about them and, and the safe the safety claims that people made make are unfounded. So when people think they are, when people, when for example, Stu, you described that exact example there, you are. You're no more safe. Well, there's two two things, two major things. I think there's the um, they are designed for low impact. Okay, they're not designed if you're going to be hit by a car at 40 miles an hour. They're not designed to, to help you there. And there is a strong evidence to show that car drivers will take less notice of you if you're wearing a helmet than if you're not wearing it. So there's that. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if if wearing a helmet if wearing a helmet means you ride a bike, then great. But people do overplay. The safety performances of of helmets. But, but who's to, who, you say it's not? They're not designed to stop you, you know, with an impact with a car at forty miles an hour. But but you don't know how you're going to fall. So you you know you could still be hit by a car at forty miles an hour and land awkwardly and not be wearing a helmet and be severely injured. But if you were wearing the helmet, you could still land in a certain way and then the helmet would do its job. So I don't quite understand how you do. Well, it wouldn't. Well, I'm saying it wouldn't. It might, but it's not designed. But it's to do designed that for job. impact of certain things. Obviously, a, a car hitting you, a car hitting you in your head at forty miles an hour, it's not going to do anything there. The thing about helmets is that it, the thing about helmets, it, we can argue all day about all of that, but it puts a disproportionate amount of responsibility on the cyclist and not the car driver is driving a two ton truck. Or whatever. Oh, That's well. the thing. And it puts all that responsibility as if, if only you were wearing a helmet. I, I, I fun, uh, sure. Would have been but, okay. I, but I do. The, do... Thing, the thing is, it's a, about taking people out of the way of traffic and putting up adequate, adequate infrastructure is the only way it's the if you think of if 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 people's having head injuries from cycling is the policy problem right if it's a policy problem and and hospitals are full of people with head injuries from cycling then wearing helmets doesn't fix that policy problem that's the thing that's that's the, the thing is we just need to design the problem away that's the thing we, there's no real case to be made for for cy- cycling or cyclists to be sharing the same stretch of road as a, yeah. a three-ton. Uh, imp- that's, that's the thing. And that's the infrastructure the is not there. I cycled from work today across North Bank to go across into East London. 
on pretty much double laned bike lanes all the way going nicely by a massive queue of traffic that were just completely stuck for about two miles. So I'm enjoying myself because I've got a completely lovely path that I can travel along. And then the way back, I have to cross Tower Bridge, weaving through a complete gridlock of traffic because there is literally no space to get two lanes of car drivers and cyclists across that road. So that has to be designed in, in a different way. Having said we wouldn't talk about helmets, we've talked about helmets before. Well, me and you did. <laughs> Stu didn't give us his opinion. <laughs> so last time, last time we talked about, um, we all agreed that we loved, uh, what do they call it? EF, Easy Post Education First, whatever they're called. <laughs> what are they all, called? List all of those and more. That'll do. EF, Education First, Easy Post. And they're sort of... Uh, Harlequin sort of patchwork quilt. We did have a little disagreement about whether the cream, whether the cream sleeve worked. So in this latest kit crit, kit crit, let's have a look at Ineos. And is the Ineos kit dross? <laughs> Luther. Luther Van. <laughs> is it Luther Van Dross? Ineos's kit. Who wants? Don't all, don't all I, I just think it's a it's it's a bit dull and it doesn't stand out and it's uh, I think Stu, you were just saying because there's obviously the red one and then there's the there is an orange I think it's listed here as the icon jersey and the orange looks loads better it's much more interesting no one really uses orange anymore they should be wearing orange it's the red it's boring opinion mm, I don't mind it I have to say. Red and blue is always a nice combo. On the tone of red's nice, and it has got a bit of orange on the uh, on the sleeve, on the shoulder, with the bicep. Uh, it's not over complex. It's not. Sometimes they go over the top. It's quite clean. The sponsors they get a nice bit of space. They get clarity. I don't mind. So anti. Stu's using. Doesn't mind. I uh, I know what you mean about the red for a red kit. It really feels dull. I think it's this the combat. It's the red and the navy blue. Just doesn't really work for me. And uh, it is relatively simple. You've got this sort of diamonds on the on the left hand and the right hand uh, sleeves. A slight different shape on on the right hand compared to the left hand. I just think it's the red and the blue. Just I don't know. It just feel dull. I think is the thing is for me. And obviously Ineos with all the different blooming. Oh. Uh, typefaces from the Ineos logo, which just drives yeah. me insane. And obviously Grenadier, which is probably the worst car ever yeah. built, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe it's the sponsors I that I can't the... stand about yeah. this kit. <laughs> and it just, I just think it just feels a really, it just looks uninspiring. Just like <laughs> Ineos, the chemical company. And Grenadier. And Grenadier, a car that didn't need to be made <laughs> since it's just a bloody Land Rover anyway. <laughs> I just find it, uh, yeah. I'm afraid I'm Luther Van Dross on this one. I just think it's, I just think it's dull, dross, boring. <laughs> I think it's kit though that the team are going to be comfortable wearing. You know, I look, I look at some kits, whether it's something, take a, take a goalkeeper kit, and they, and they, you know, the team kit is all canary yellow. And would you want to go out in front of like, you know? Just- 60,000 people and there's millions of people watching on television dressed as a canary. I think goalkeepers should be in yellow. You know, 
And, yeah. Oh, no, it's international goalkeepers. Only England goalkeepers should be in yellow, isn't it? And only yellow top. Don't go for the full yellow, surely. Full I yellow's wrong. I've seen full yellow. It's like, what, you wear it out? You can't perform in that. You can think you do. I look at the deck in this. Yes, you do. Well, by this this Ineos kit, I don't think you can feel you. Do you I think you're right? Kit. I think you're right. It's so a solid. It's a solid kit. Is who? It, I suppose that's the who thing. makes um, this kit? It's made is it, by it's Castor, isn't it? Castor. Who have started to take over the whole of the Premier League at the sort of secondary level, secondary tier. Um, that's interesting that they're Castor. Yeah. So I think we're giving that a general thumbs down. I feel well. Two to, it was two to one. I think well, it's a two, two to did, one. Two to one. I, I, I think lost it. that one, Stu. It's uh, it's a it's a it's Ineos, Luther Vandross. And actually, talking about about Premier League, there we can't finish, I suppose, without talking to our asking our resident <laughs> City fan uh, how he feels about um, not only a double but a bloody treble. How is it? Very good. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was more a sense of relief having watched that game. You clearly see they were nervous, and you know, I know finals are funny, funny occasion. Anything can happen. But I did think, I did think, at half time, they were going to lose it. I could see it coming. So when Rodders got that goal, settled it all down. It was a big relief. Because, you know, going into that, you're thinking, this team on paper, they'll play them t- ten times. They'd beat them nine out of ten times. They would do, you know, in a normal game. But because it was a final, they could see they were really struggling to, to play. And they were just Did you really think they'd lose it? Did you really think the they'd ball. lose it, though? And this is because I, it was almost one of... Well, do you think cause if, yeah. if they'd have gone one down to Inter, surely that would have, like, been a rocket, rocket fuel and just kind of... they. You know, they went one down yeah. to Chelsea and they did that. Then Chelsea shut up shop. This one, the Italians are very good at doing that. They would have shut up shop. They'd have been, they'd have been full of shithousery. They would have been diving, time wasting. It would have been so painful. And actually, as the final goes as well, it was quite good tempered. Wasn't no, it? There, wasn't, was no, right. there wasn't really much shithousery going on. I've not seen that for a while. Normally, there's all sorts, isn't there? There's cheating and fouling and dirty behaviour, but. It seems to be playing. They have been, yeah, because they have been some really tetchy finals, haven't they, over the last the last few years? What do you think, though, Stu? Is this obviously the like you say relief? Obviously, he's done it now, uh, Pep. Do you think this this you know you could win it three or four times in the next five or six seasons? Is this where it goes? Do you think, or will he look for new challenges? Uh, Well, I mean, I I think they have to be favourites. It's almost difficult to win it, you know, back to back. Um. But you'd have to fancy them. The thing is, Pep's going to go probably, you know, in a couple of years, and then there'll be a big upheaval again. And the, whoever they get in, that's going to be the big question: who's going to come in? You know, and some of the players will be going in a couple of years too. There's talk about, you know, Gundy and Bernie being off, which would be a shame. But he will. He's very good at recycling the team, as as Fergie was. He, you know, if they didn't, if they didn't, if they didn't want them, or they didn't want to stick around, he'd get rid of them, get new players in. He's very good at that. So we'll see. But the pep, the pep era is coming to an end in a couple. So of before years. No before we go, that. chaps, has anyone got has anyone got an A or B? <laughs> Good, tell us. Yes. 
Yeah, I've done. That's the cycling. I like it. Tell cycling us more. lessons. <laughs> <laughs> She went out on her bike on Monday, but I did say, I think this bike is getting a bit small for you now because she's quite tall, Florence. So, anyway, we took it in and she, she did it. But I said, Look, I'm sure that's too small. So, we took to, she went on Tallulah's this morning. Big, you know, big. Is this the cycling bike. proficiency test? That we I was going to say, do. yeah. yeah. I, I remember the metal badge, the metal thing you could put on your bike. Uh, no, I don't, think, I don't think it is that. They just they just take them on the roads. They're just trying to get them comfortable on the roads, to your point, Matt. Get them on the roads. You know, in groups, all around high vis, and just getting used to them being in the cycle. That's very good. I doesn't to do that. Um, I might ask why. Um, there are a number hmm. of different charities. Too. I think it's a great thing. So uh, we looked at it at um, the kids' first primary school. It wasn't as easy to organise as I thought. But it used to be cool, didn't it, Lord? It used to be, well, I felt like every school did it. So every 11-year-old yeah. did a cycling proficiency test. You'd do the stuff in the playground and you'd learn all sort of uh, bike maneuverability. And then you'd go out to the road and do a little test and get your badge. So the you idea get your is, metal badge this, that you put on your bike. And the thing is, Stu, I remember, yeah. I mean, vividly remember the whole thing, looking over your right shoulder, looking over your right shoulder, and it stayed with me. It really worked. And it was a proper, it was called the cycling proficiency test. And I thought it was really, really good. You did it as well. There you go. And we, it's not a, yeah, it. it's not a normal, it's not a thing. I don't think that every school child goes through now, which is a bit of a shame. Well, was it obviously a national thing, but now there's no such thing as a national thing. It doesn't, it just doesn't exist. My, my, I remember it that way. It probably wasn't. It probably wasn't that way at all. It may have been, our school might have been enlightened one. It might have been enlightened local authority. It could have been something everyone opted into. There you go. I'll give you the Wikipedia. Go on, tell us the Wikipedia. Go on. The cycling proficiency test was a test given by Royal Society of the Prevention of Accidents, which served as a minimum recommended standard for cycling on British roads. It was superseded by the National Standards for Cycle Training, branded Bikeability in England. That's in it, Bikeability. I was thinking that that's that's the one locally. But does it say that it was available to all all schools? Did it? Uh, it was held was held for seven. First, the first one. Have a guess when the first one was done. Nineteen seventy four. Nope. Eighty two. Nineteen. Go on. Tell us. Nineteen forty seven. Nineteen forty seven. The first cycling proficiency test was held for seven children on the seventh of October, nineteen forty seven. The national cycling proficiency scheme was introduced by the government in nineteen fifty eight. Statutory responsibility for road safety being given to local authorities in 1974. Oh, see, I was there, so it was it was it was rolled out in 74. So it was rolled down to local authorities at that point. Yeah. Did you find out when you taught your kids? Because I love your your method of using the scarf method. I love to get that. I've passed on to so many people. It's one of the best things. Does everyone ever. does everyone know the scarf method? Your I don't think the world know. Not everyone in the world knows no. the scarf method. I don't think the world does. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's such a well-kept secret. Just, do we, do, I was going to say, do we reveal it on this pod? <laughs> <laughs> is, this where, is this where we go viral? I think we put it up. We can hold it over. We can hold it over, couldn't we? So, you know, ne- tune in next time. I know. When I we were yeah, revealed. Let's hold it back. Hold it back. There, there'll, be, there'll be, honestly, there'll be people subscribing left, right and centre. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I was going to ask you, did your kids, when, when they were learning to ride the bike, when they change gear, do they always look I down? still have to tell both my kids, well, the oldest one doesn't really go on a bike very much, but when my youngest one gets on the bike, I literally have to say to him, 
change gear now. It's like, no, it's fine. It's like, but you're going uphill and you're really struggling. Use the gears that you have. But he's got the trigger ones on the front. So he just, he doesn't really look at those when he does change gear. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, all my kids when they were young, when they change gear, they <laughs> down, do not look down. But if I don't look down, it won't change gear. Do not look down. <laughs> Exactly. Should we, should we leave it there then, chaps? Yeah. The bye, 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 bye. bye. I think we're done. Bye. 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 Yeah, until next week. Bye. bye.